Welcome to the Iowa Idea Podcast. Join host Matt Arnold for in-depth conversations with artists, designers, entrepreneurs, and civic leaders as he explores how they approach their craft and represent a modern version of the Iowa Idea. This podcast tells the stories of Iowa natives, transplants, and friends who demonstrate the Iowa idea in the 21st century. In this episode of the Iowa Idea Podcast, I sit down with Matthew Swift. Matt's an entrepreneur, restaurateur, and CEO. If you enjoy great beer, great food, and well-designed settings in the ICR corridor, you've most likely been to one of Matt's hospitality projects which include St. Birch, Mosley's, Pullman's, 30 Hop, Red's, Blackstone, and Big Grove. I hope I got them all. Matt is an Iowa native and grew up in the restaurant industry, learning the business firsthand at his mother's restaurant, Sluggers, in North Liberty. We discuss how his hospitality projects, especially Big Grove, have evolved, grown, and have pivoted in the middle of the pandemic. We dig deep into the craft beer business and spend some time discussing barbecue. I really appreciated how Matt attributes his success to team collaboration as well as strong, trusted partnerships. We explore the importance of community and place when it comes to designing an experience and the need to remain nimble to keep growing. It was an honor having Matt join me on the show. I thank him for sharing his time and insights. Sit back, crack a cold one, and enjoy the episode. Matt, it's an absolute pleasure to have you here on the Iowa Idea Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. If you don't mind for our listeners, uh, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Well, thanks for having me on the podcast. It's always great to have a great conversation. So thanks for the time. Um, my name is Matt Swift. I'm from the Iowa City area. I was born and raised here. Uh, kind of grew up in the restaurant business. Uh, my mom had a restaurant called Sluggers, and that's where I started working, cleaning grease traps, working in the kitchen, working busboy, up to serving and managing, and learned a lot about the industry through that. Now, um, over time, I've amassed a lot of partners in a lot of restaurants. Um, we have, I think, 10, uh, 11 now hospitality concepts and uh, Big Grove Brewery, and we have two locations with the brewery, and that's my primary focus. I have uh, two kids, and and a beautiful wife named Kayla. So life's pretty good. That's great. Thanks. Want to dig in a little bit too, because there are, uh, you've said 11 uh, hospitality locations. And if I just run through some of them that you got St. Birch, Supper Club Concept, Mosley's Barbecue, Pullman. Uh, How would you describe Pullman? What's the guiding concept there? It's a diner. So it's a shotgun diner. Um, it's kind of designed actually like a train car in the interior, but it's fancier than that. And then uh, we have a, a real heavy cocktail program there. Yeah. And you have 30 hop, you have reds, you have blackstone. Am I missing any? Uh, what are we missing? We're missing. Well, we got the big groves. We got big uh, grove. Right, right, right. Yeah. We have a new restaurant. We just opened in Corville called Tribute, which is a new, uh, a new, concept right next to 30 hop it's right across from the new uh, extreme arena so that's really great i actually had lunch there today super short menu real classic american fare it's it's going really well that's great uh question for you when you're looking at uh your restaurants and breweries how how do you decide to go with a new concept or kind of extend a name or location because some of them you have multiple locations and some are standalone for lack of better term no no yeah that's a great question um yeah, you know, we're getting more intentional about that, about how we expand each each concept, each location. Uh, I would say it's just based on need and demand. You know, right now we're looking at doing more big groves uh, in different places throughout the state and trying to understand what that looks like, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, it's not probably the, the science equation it should be, but it's, it's based on a lot of feel. 30 Hop was a natural fit for the space that was available in Cedar Rapids, so we expanded 30 Hop. Um, Mosley's was a natural fit for the North Liberty space when it expanded. So it just, it just, those things just made sense. I think it's a little bit of logic and a little bit of luck. That's great. And I just, uh, looking at my notes, I realized I, I skipped reds, uh, as well. Yeah. You said reds. I heard. Oh, it. did it. Okay. All right. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, 
Yeah, Reds was my uh, my mom's. That's uh, kind of the reincarnation of sluggers, and where it first got us into craft beer. And that's uh, that's that's another place I spend time at. Reds is uh, I don't want to call it my baby, but it might be considered my baby. So it's one that I started from the ground up uh, with um, friends, and of course, my mom's my business partner, and it's been a very very good success story for us. What uh, what made you want to start Reds or, or go into a restaurant kind of uh, from the ground up? Well, we had sluggers and it flooded out in 2008 and we were trying to figure out what to do. Um, after that, we had kind of a negative, well, we had a negative experience with our uh, landlord and just the situation is pretty bad and we lost everything from that restaurant and that flood. And so trying to figure out where we're going to go and what we're going to do afterwards, my mom was pretty spent. She wasn't really interested in, in uh, attacking another project and she's, she's smart though. Don't forget that. So she kept the SBA loan going on the backside, just in case you never know kind of thing. And we didn't know about this lawsuit. We didn't know what was going to happen with that location. It was just kind of a, it's kind of a dark time for my family. And then this little building came available in, in North Liberty, Iowa. And it was used to be a restaurant called Rookies. My mom just always loved it. She always thought it was super charming and had all this, this character and feel. And that was her style. And uh, I said, mom, if you do it, I'll run it for you. And you don't have to worry about anything which was not 100% true, but pretty close. And then she, uh, she took a leap of faith with me and we attacked that project together. So that's basically Sluggers Reborn um, anchored to craft beer. So a lot of the same food and then kind of upgraded or changed over the years. Thanks. And when it comes to, when it came to the craft beer, was that, was that the stepping stone to, yeah. to the first Big Grove location? Yeah, it really was. I mean, that was the big step um, for me personally. And I think for us to know uh, what was really possible in beer. And I still don't know that we 100% understand that, but we opened Reds and I wanted to anchor it to craft beer. And craft beer at that point was like <laughs> Line of Kugels, Boulevard, uh, Guinness, you know, a lot of imported beers. Um, we, we carried a lot of import beers, you know, your uh, Boddington's, uh, you know, your Reds from Europe, a lot of that stuff. So, it, was, it wasn't what the craft beer landscape is today because in Iowa, there's a lot of laws that prohibited uh, breweries to be sold um, here. And you had to be under 6% alcohol. A lot of craft beers over 6%. So it's kind of a flyover state for craft breweries. So like, you know, if you're stone and you're coming from San Diego, it'd make a heck of a lot of sense to stop in Iowa City and drop some beer off. But if you can't drop all your beer off, what's the point? So Reds became a launching point once that law changed. And that's what really started the craft beer journey for us is we moved entirely to craft, pulled all domestics off tap, and that really opened the floodgates. And we became the premier, one of the premier locations to drink craft beer in Iowa. Yeah, thanks. And and with that, it was kind of a, uh, almost like a, felt like an archaic law on the books about the the percent of alcohol when that law changed, though, we, we did see a lot statewide, a lot of uh, microbreweries open up as well. Yeah, I mean, it all kind of happened at the same time. So I think Big Grove was the 13th brewery in Iowa at that point. So it was the 13th operational brewery in Iowa in 2013 is when we opened. My math's never good on that, yeah. but yeah, 2013. And then, uh, yeah, and now today there's over 100. So things changed rapidly. So, and I think that law change was a big catalyst of things really happening and, you know, consumer changed, you know, I mean, there's, there's a lot of people drinking craft beer that weren't drinking craft beer before. So I think that's pretty exciting too. Yeah. Why do you think that is? I think there's just something that's rooted in, in genuine community that people gravitate towards when they think about craft beer. I think you're supporting um, something that, 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 that has its roots in your own community. I mean, Big Grove is made in, in Iowa City. It's made in Solon. It's really made right there. It's not like we're bringing it in and then reselling it to you. So I just think that he's, the history of the community, I think that really resonates with people. And then that, that support's going right back into, you know, in Iowa City, into Johnson County, into the Iowa into the Iowa market. I think that's part of it. I think that craft beer's quality has gone through the roof over the last five years. I think that before, you know, 10 years ago, you might've got a craft brewery, you know, craft beer and, Local, maybe not the greatest thing you ever drank in your life. Not saying there was great beer, bad beer. I'm just saying that that, that could have been an experience that was had. And I think that the brewers have upped their game dramatically. And I think that, you you know, you're looking at a, a match in quality, if not better at times. And I think that's really appealing to customers too. 
Thanks. Sticking with Big Grove for a bit, because uh, I, I love the the branding that your team has done from both like naming convention, uh, the presentation of the beers, uh, the the layouts at the the restaurants themselves. But how did you how did you pick the name Big Grove uh, when you were in the Solon area? OK, well, great question. Probably one I need to clarify more often. So yeah. uh, Big Grove is actually the name of the township where Solon resides. So everything in that town is Big Grove, but it's not really said that much. So if you go to vote, you go to vote in the Big Grove Township. And we just really thought we're all passionate about nature. And Doug's my business partner in Big Grove is really passionate about trees and forestry and Big Grove. It just kind of clicked after a while. And it was a sell though, you know, it's like, yeah. it's, it's kind of a leap of faith because nobody really knew what we were talking about. And then it hit and people love the name. So I appreciate the question. Yeah, thanks. And one of the things that I really appreciate is uh, the evolution and expansion, especially that I've seen with Big Grove. But can you walk me through when when did you decide on putting an Iowa City location? Were there certain kind of tests or experiments you're running in your mind in Solon, or did you always plan that uh, you'd have a, a brewery in Iowa City as well? You're giving me way too much credit. I appreciate it. What we do is uh. <laughs> We, we aren't that planned, but what happened was we were at the, I remember a specific couple moments. And number one, we always couldn't make enough beer. It's a really small beer brewery system and so on. So never had enough beer to provide for the customer. So I always knew I wanted to make a little bit more beer, but I didn't know how much. And we're at uh, Burr Fest, which is a beer festival that happens by Back Pocket Brewing in, in uh, the Marriott down there in the convention center. I remember we released a beer and we had a line that was so long, I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, what happened? What are, we, what, are, what are we doing here? And that's when it was a click moment. Like, hey, we got a real thing here. We got a real brand here that people want. We need to focus on expanding it. And that expansion went from everything from going to Cedar Rapids to Iowa City to rent a warehouse in Solon, um, moving all over the place. And I eventually came to the conclusion with my partners that we wanted to anchor it near the University of Iowa. Uh, we felt it was important not to get a bunch of young people drinking there, but we wanted to be behind the backbone of the community, which I felt was the Iowa Hawkeyes. And we're about a mile from downtown. So it's not in the heart of it, but it's just off that. And it was in a re, uh, we like the rehab buildings. Uh, we think that's really important for the community. And so that worked out as well. So that building actually that we're in used to hold all of the materials. Originally it was a lumber yard. And then it became basically the University of Iowa's main storage unit. So that all the University of Iowa sweatshirts and hats and everything in the hawk shop and then the entire hancher, all the sets, props, costumes, everything was is also held in that building and it was a million different rooms. And so it was a wild project. There was supposed to be a road going through it on the city plan. So they worked really hard with us to, to make it happen. Yeah, a few, a few things there I'd love to uh, dig into a little bit more too is one is how the vision for what the rehab building could be. Cause as you said, when it was a storage unit, given it's, it's location, which I know it's changed quite a bit in a few years from Iowa city, right? The development kind of South of downtown, but the location and the building itself both seem like kind of a leap of faith. What, what did you, what did you see or how did your team see kind of that diamond in the rough? Well, um, Yes. Well, we needed, we needed some square footage. It was too much for us in the beginning. It's a 28,000 square foot building. That doesn't include offices. There's another 3,000 square feet office, over 30,000 square feet. And we did. We needed, we needed space. So had space. Check the box. And then it was, well, if we want to give people an opportunity to taste the beers and experience Big Grove, we got to have a customer area. I was out back behind the building, and this is when there was it was a, a combination of greenhouses and like junkyard behind there. And so we were looking around trying to figure out what it was. And what I noticed right away is like, I'm on the highway, sort of, kind of, and it feels like I'm in total peace right now. It just had a really calming feeling back there. Could have been the junkyard feel, I don't really know, but <laughs> it felt really good. And uh, I invited my uncle to come out. His name's George Papa George. He owns a, a firm called Papa George Hames, which is an architecture firm in Chicago. And I brought him out and he had the vision of flipping the whole building instead of going front to back, going back to front. And so if you haven't been to Big Grove in Iowa City, our customer um, area or our, our tap room is in the back of the building and it backs up to a park and a lot of city infrastructure and it's, it's really beautiful. And 
I think having all of those elements work together made the location really idyllic for me. And then having the new park, which the city built in tandem with Big Grove going in, just added. It added more sizzle, more excitement, more reasons to visit. And I think that's been a real, real big deal on our success down there. Thanks. And then uh, the the expansion uh, as well, just your brewing capabilities. If you can kind of walk us through because the the scale is pretty for me seems like it could border on being overwhelming but from what your your production capacity was in solon like you said then you knew you needed you needed to expand then you build the iowa city location and i'm thinking i think i'm aware of maybe at least two expansions of of tanks and brewery operations as well but can you walk me through both kind of that volume and scale and and how you you know when to pull the trigger Sure. Is it cool if I crack a beer first? Because we need to absolutely get duplicated for this. All right. So, uh, yeah. So Solon's a small system. It's three and a half barrels by seven barrels. Now, what that means is a barrel is basically two half barrel kegs. I know it sounds really rudimentary, but another way to think about it is it's thirteen point eight cases of beer. So, trying to give some scale to what we're talking yep. about. Um, if we brew, brew in Solon, every brew is about 100 gallons. We brew two times, it's about 200 gallons, and that fills up a tank. In each location, the barrier for um, making more beer is fermentation space. So when you said we've expanded a few times, we expanded by fermentation space. We expanded once in Solon, so we went from three fermenters to six, so very small. But in Iowa City, we started with six 60 barrel fermenters. So I usually say like an easy way to think about it, it's about 10 times bigger than what we do in um, Solon. So it's kind of a 10x project. Um, we started with six fermenters and then we moved to 10 fermenters. And then we moved to 15 fermenters. And then most recently, and by the grace uh, of somebody, I don't know who it was, but we bought seven fermenters um, in February before COVID hit. And so it was all part of our plan. We wanted to finish the brewery out and finish the expansion, but the timing, and I don't know if I would have pulled the trigger a month later, you know, I mean, because right, it was right. like, things got so scary. It was like, who knows what's happening? Went from, you know, selling a ton of kegs every month to selling zero. And uh, you're like, well, geez, do we really need this space? And it ended up being a real, a real big blessing for us because it gave us the ability to flex pretty hard during the summer. We moved all the package and we were able to put a lot of beer I think the theoretical output of that brewery right now, I think Solon, if pushed hard, could probably put out a thousand barrels. I think Iowa City, if pushed hard, could put out 25,000. So it's, it's, a, it's a big difference in scale and, and we'll see how that all shakes out. We don't make that much this last year, but if it, you know, and things come in flow. When you think about breweries, they, they come, it's seasonal. You know, I mean, in the winter we need, you know, maybe we need half that space in the summer, we might need 40% more than we have. So it's about balancing it out and how it works and the ebbs and flows of beer. It's a product that expires over time. So you can't make, you know, 800,000 gallons in, in the middle of winter, so, you know, stockpile for summer. So we're trying to, you know, balance that out too. So having the extra capacity is a big deal. And, and of course the guys have just been killing it with the beers. Yeah. Yeah. And another thing that I appreciate is uh, on the, on the packaging or you know canning side and this this is just my take on it but it seems when you're also doing some experiments because we'll get we'll see cans right that there's kind of the the temporary label put on yeah. before you commit to painting uh cans it, i imagine that's that's a much bigger expense and commitment yeah. but even with easy eddie i kind of remember like my personal experience with it was having it at big grove then seen it in the store with mm -hmm. with uh, more of the, the sticker label on it and now getting it in multiple size cans that are are painted. So how do you how do you decide one to, to start a beer and then kind of run those experiments before you commit to a large canning run? Yeah, great question. Um, again, not a perfect science, but what we look at is uh, obviously velocity. Um, I would say, you know, we could run hundred or 200 cases with labels and feel pretty good about it. Once you start running thousands of cases with labels, it gets very expensive. Um, it's not that much different of a price to do a blank can to a printed can. So having a printed can is a real advantage. But once you go to print it, I think you have to buy I mean, 12 ounce over 200,000 cans at one time. 
So you got to go big and you got to go long and you got to go ready to go. And of course, for like Budweiser, you know, that's like a half a minute of their warehouse. But I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's just, yep. so we, we like to go as printed as we can because, um, you know, it's just a lot more cost effective, but it also presents a better product. But then as part of it too, or we want to stay nimble. We want to stay fresh. We want to keep putting out cool beer. And so I don't want to stop. So I don't want to stop our brew team when they're on fire. And it's like, if you guys want to keep making amazing beers, we'll keep putting together the marketing for them. The big, the nice thing about a label is you can be super flexible, super nimble. Maybe it's a hundred cases, maybe it's a thousand cases, whatever it is, you can, you can really mess around with it and really play around with quantity. Again, the pricing's not as good because you're, you're double paying, you're paying for a label and you're paying for a can rather yeah. than just paying for a can. But um, we want to stay nimble. We want to be a brewery that you can count on for core beers, core beers being beers you can buy at the store all the time. We also want to be a brewery that you can depend on us for, for specialty and unique offerings because we want to keep it fresh. And uh, I think it's going pretty well in that, in that regard. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know if it's continuing, but I, I felt like during the summer, too, we were, we were probably we were seeing multiple new releases every week. Yeah. Uh, is that is that still the new new ones coming on? Yeah, I would say it's 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 somewhat somewhat stable. We we do sometimes we have a little spike on the you know on the on the monitor there on the calendar. We have a little yeah. spike every once in a while. We do a little bit more than that. Try to put on new beer every week. Some of the times it's from Solon. Uh, sometimes they're from Iowa City. Sometimes they're in package. Sometimes they're not. Uh, in the summer, that was really really uh, was a was a way to combat. Uh, the in-house being slow and you know having you know basically a shutdown march april can't remember exactly what time we opened but we wanted to keep it exciting so we started packaging off all the little runs from solon and so it felt like hey there's like 40 beers out this week there's 40 beers out this week it's because it was all coming from solon and iowa city it's kind of a combination and the brewers just ran with it because we we had no other source of income so it really helped out a lot and kept it fresh but it also kind of unlocked hey People seem to be pretty excited about this, so let's keep let's keep chugging along. Thinking about with uh, COVID and the pandemic hitting in <clears throat> right around spring break, right in March, but <clears throat> then with those new beers, uh, just I want to I want to talk about some of some of the ways you changed your business model or you know adjusted and pivoted to what was going on. But one of the things that you had set up during the summer was. Uh, a basically a drive-through uh, pickup that you could order in advance and get get all these different beers. How did what did that look like making that decision? Because uh, just from a personal perspective, I used that service and I I thought it just ran incredibly smoothly. But I'm kind of curious on how you how your team came up with that and how you you manage the uh, the process. Yeah, so the drive-through actually was born through my buddy Scott. Uh, he's out at Lua Brewing in Des Moines and I saw him doing a drive-thru. I was like, dude, that's genius. I was like, you don't have to have people come in. It's contactless. You get to have some revenue generated. You get people some new tastes, new products, old products, whatever you want. And uh, he kind of planted the seed and maybe he didn't know that, but now he knows that. <laughs> that's where I, I started thinking about it. And then the, the team uh, really pivoted hard and we moved into this, this uh, drive-thru. And I would say that during those weeks of shutdown, that was 75% of our revenue it happened in three hours, you know, so yeah. for the whole week. So it, uh, it made a huge impact. And I think that the team should deserves a round of applause because it seems easy, you know, Hey, we just moved to throwing things on drive through and it is what it is, but there was a whole online ordering system. The back end was really difficult understanding timelines and how things came out. And of course, Beer, for the most part, is dependable, but at times it can be not so dependable. So you gotta, you gotta have a lot of flexibility, and and there's a lot of grace during that uh, from all the team members because you know, it, I mean, it could change. Two minutes before putting the drive-through out, we were changing every every week because we just didn't know. Like we were like, hey, this could be ready. And then Andy's like, hey, don't put that on or put this on. This is ready to go. I'm like, man, we got to get better than this. But it was also it was such a reactionary time. And uh, it pushed us, it pushed us really, really hard, but it also showed us what we're capable of. And I think, I think customers appreciated it. Yeah. Thanks for going, by the way. Yeah, it was, no, it was great. And uh, uh, both my daughter and I are a big fan of the uh, Korean barbecue uh, chicken. So also being able to pick up some uh, Korean barbecue sauce at the drive-thru was kind of nice too. There you go. Uh, thinking, uh, thinking about COVID uh, too is, 
And with all these restaurant locations, you've had to do a lot of adjustment. What do you see sticking when things return to normal? Like certain certain things that you might have learned or uh, any changes, or are you just going to be happy to get things back to more of a kind of pre-COVID kind of both both for for dining for food and and brewing yeah i think it's a great question it's the million dollar question right now because we're all making plans for you know post-vaccine world and what's that look like so i think you're gonna see people come back slower than you'd expect i think it's gonna be uh, harder to get people back inside i think that's gonna change over time you know maybe it's late next year when people feel safer maybe it's early 22 but you know, we do a little bit of business inside right now, but really the kicker was patios. I think patio space saved a lot of our locations over the summer. Um, I don't know that, that that's not a trend that's going away. I think that your outdoor dining is going to become just, just such a big deal. And I think that people are going to put a lot of investment into their outdoor dining spaces. And I think that the more open and airy your locations feel, the more safe people are going to feel. At Tribute, we put in these booths that have a higher back and they're, they're you booths and you just, you feel kind of like you're in your little, little pod. Yeah. Like, that's the future, you know? I think you're going to see, hopefully, a lot of things go back to normal, like people hanging out at a bar and, and cheers and their friends and high-fiving. I think that might take time too. I mean, I do think that the young folks are going to go out and, and live their lives once they get a little bit, when the restrictions get lifted. So we have to be very careful. But uh, yeah, you know, you got to value your staff and you got to protect everybody. But at the same time, it's like, you know, kind of it's go time, you know, <laughs> whenever that whenever that happens and people feel safe. But it'll be a, an ever evolving thing. And I would say, you know, the enclosed patios. You saw a lot of that, right? People enclosing their patios, putting up uh, igloos. None of that's going away. I can promise you that'll be here for a really long time, probably forever. And I think that people will continue to use those services. It's just going to get, I hope people feel safe and I hope people want to go back out and support restaurants. And I I think that restaurants will be a safer environment in general because of the health and safety practices that have come out of this. Um, We're all supposed to be doing it and most restaurants were doing it, but I think you're going to see a cleaner restaurant and hopefully a more enjoyable experience. Thanks. Switching gears a a little bit. Uh, So Big Grove is uh, exclusive to Iowa. Uh, right. Are, you, are there any any plans in the future to go go beyond uh, the Iowa borders with with the beer? I learned a great statement. Um, don't, don't hold me to the fire too hard on it, but yeah. you know we we'd like to be an inch wide and a mile deep rather than a mile wide and an inch deep. We believe in owning our backyard, owning being that you know we have distribution in all all points convenience stores, grocery, liquor stores. We want to be, want to be able to, you have, be able to have the opportunity to buy Big Grove in any spot. Um, we're not there yet. You know, we got more work to do in Iowa. And I think, uh, I think that's going to be our primary focus for quite some time. I don't see a reason to go to another state quite yet. I think that it's not off the, off the table by any means, but I think there's, there's opportunity to make something even more special that's special right now. And we're going to keep pushing on that. Thanks. I know one of the things too that I thought was uh, really cool that uh, that you guys did. I was talking to Andy in the spring, and it's after pandemic hit. But some of the collaborations that you do with other breweries, and I know one was a, a fundraiser for uh, uh, for the service community. I can't now. I can't. Remember. I thought it was a, a, a brewery out of Brooklyn, but they posted their recipe, and everybody kind of across the country did their own. How do you, how do those collaborations come about uh, when, you know, as Big Grove, you have your business, but it seems like you, you have friendly competition. I don't know if that's a fair way to say it, but I see you doing collaboration that, that doesn't, that makes it seem like you're (laughs) just a good, good brand to hang out with. Oh, well, again, thank you. Collaboration was a priority for 2020. Um, we, we said we wanted to collaborate with more breweries. We wanted to be a part of their story and have them be a part of our story. We're hoping to go, you know, we have a lot of friends in Iowa. We're hoping to do a lot of people in Iowa and then also look at other markets, uh, just to say, Hey, we just want to keep getting better. And I think you can learn a lot from working with other breweries. I think you can also, I don't know. I just think it's, it's good for community. And I think big craft brewery has always been kind of backed in community. I use that word probably too much, but yeah. 
I think that's where we really saw the value is, uh, you know, our team gets to go to different places, work with different brewers, different systems, different types of beer and learn. And then we can learn from each other too, and hopefully grow into the woods is a beer that came out of that this year. Um, it's our highest rated sour beer we've ever done. It's a totally different base. It's soured with a different product and it's heavy. It's got more fruit than any beer we've ever made. And it's just been one of those beers that just took off. And that was a collaboration with Copper Kettle out of Colorado. And so, you know, you just never know what's going to happen. And I think that's really exciting too. And I think everybody wants to play nice together, right? We're all trying to do yeah. the same thing. Yeah. And into the woods that, it, that uh, thanks. Cause I was going to ask you about that one. Cause that's what I, I thought. I couldn't remember Copper Kettle, but I, I thought it was with Colorado and that was really well done. And, and then what I love is the extensions that you've made off of, off of that as a series. Yeah. I mean, again, Andy, working his magic with uh, the copper kettle guys and then just taking it a step further locally. And that's, uh, it's done really well for us. We've had into the jungle into the woods was a raspberry um, berry based beer into the jungle was a tropical fruit based one. And then into the abyss was like a stone fruit, dark fruit one. Um, and again, just heavier, heavier fruit rates, different souring, higher ABV has lactose added for sugar and sweetening. So it's, it's, that's a really cool beer. That's a cool series. Thanks. Uh, now thinking about uh, kind of the almost the the graphic design, right? The you guys have uh, I think a fun logo. You talked about like the trees, but combining kind of an acorn and a hop. But uh, how have you how have you put together kind of your your design team on that end? Because you sure. the names for the beers that will reference Iowa things and some really really good looking uh, cans design a good looking and, and then a, and then a good story but how do those things come together putting that narrative around like an easy eddy or you know we can talk about birch too with st birch but birch the bear makes an appearance on on one of the cans as well mm -hmm. yeah i mean i think with the design part we were fortunate to, to take on a rebrand and we opened iowa city and we worked with a company out of rockford named graham spencer they helped kind of steer us in the right direction on the logo and uh, Nate Kading actually helped quite a bit with that too and getting us in the right spot and I think the logo just turned out amazing and it's just got that character and feel of something that's crafted I hate to say that you keep saying the words craft and community but it's really what it is and I think that's that logo has those good feels and the, we call it the hopcorn so the acorn and the hop mash together the hopcorn's kind of been iconic with our brewery and, and I think it's got a lot of legs and then you look at individual brands I like to think you know, I don't know. We don't try to go a little deeper than, than surface level. Sometimes I don't yep. listen to myself though on that. Birch the Bear is a great example. So Birch was uh, the original Iowa mascot that nobody knew about. The brown bear back in like 1913. and A real live bear though. I yeah. think for a list that was actually like made road trips, right? With the team. It was a real bear. And uh, <laughs> it was such a unique story. And he had Jimmy who was his handler and all this stuff. So we we love that story and just dove in on it and like this is a fun story to tell and uh and and that was just you know you gotta you gotta dig a couple layers deeper though to get to those how'd you connect with graham spencer i'm curious i i grew up in rockford illinois that's my hometown um man how did that happen i think of my uncle did work with him uncle bill did work with uh his dad did work with their company a long time ago and i think that we just okay yeah we, we, we talked to companies all over the country no, that's great. Yeah. And uh, so playing, playing with the uh, St. Birch element that the, the Birch story then is big enough that you, you, t you, you do a supper club in downtown Iowa yeah. city or supper club inspired and uh, St. Birch is, is the key to it. Yep. St. Birch. He's, he's a saint because he, he ended up escaping or, or was let out. Nobody knows the real, the real story. That's part of the mystery. He ended up walking on the Iowa river and uh, it didn't go well in the middle of winter. So, yeah. So the St. Birch, he's, yeah. uh, he came back to life for the, the, the St. Birch Tavern. And at your different hospitality uh, locations and, and names, you have uh, some, some partners that you share across these. How do, how do you know when with a new idea and a new partnership, are there certain things you look for or how do you, how do you build trust with, uh, with potential business partners? 
Well, uh, I think we all know our, our lane. Um, we try to stay in it and try to do what we're good at. I think that helps out a lot. You know, some of us are really good at finance. Some are good at branding. Some are good at the feel. Some are good at the food. And so we try to put the right team together for each project. I think so far it's going really well. I mean, if we were to start it all over, we'd probably start some hospitality company and have it all fall, under, fall underneath that umbrella, but that's not the way the chips fell. And uh, I'm very fortunate to work with great people. Um, you know, I think there's, I don't know the amount of people anymore, but there's a decent amount of us that are involved in all these projects and there's intertwinings and interweaving. And I could see a lot of partners not doing very well there. <laughs> and not from, from the, from the, you know, you're all competing for the same customer. We're all working together and, and that can create conflict, but we're fortunate that people are always looking at the big picture and always trying to get better. So it's not petty. It's, uh, it's about bringing the entire group up, which I think is really cool. Yeah. And, uh, that spirit of almost, uh, competition in a way too, just at the notion of getting better, uh, just returning to big grow for a minute. But I, I feel like there is maybe a healthy competition between the brewery team and the food team there. Oh. Is that, is Andy that fair? Tell you about that? How did that come to light? That's a, that's a good one. And Andy said that, uh, that it is like uh, that a healthy push. Like you, you see what this team's in, and yeah. the way he talked about it too was um, also on the plus side is also talking about what might be great pairings or what might be fun things to do, yeah. but but also like uh, sound. So you can settle this for me if I heard it correctly. Uh, blame me, not Andy. But what I heard was that. Uh, 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 ben wants people to come to Big Grove for the food. Andy wants people to come to Big Grove for the beer. <laughs> well, you know, it probably depends on where you go, but the uh, the food is amazing at both. The beer is amazing at both. Um, I think they both, they do have a healthy competition, friendly, but it's, uh, I think it just keeps people pushing. And, I, and, you know, Ben's one of the most talented guys in the state at what he does. He's an amazing chef. Andy's one of the most talented guys in the state at what he does. And, you know, that, that's, that's good. And that's the kind of competition you want. You want your place striving to be the best at food. And you want your brewer looking at your head chef and your executive chef and saying, that's pretty damn impressive. I need to do something really cool too. And you want the vice versa to happen. And I think that what's been really fun is you take that idea and you put it on steroids is they're doing dinners now together. So they'll do these collaboration dinners. We just did one a week ago for Richard the Whale. And we did for 18 people, 17 courses, an omakase style tasting menu. And I might say that word wrong, omakase. Yeah. Literally the chefs are presenting a bite of food to you and, and you're enjoying it. And it was everything from nigiri to octopus to um, Kobe beef to I mean, just the most unbelievable tasting I've ever seen. And then Andy's out there pouring you the most magical beers at the same time it's a really amazing experience thanks yeah i was just going to ask you how the uh, uh richard the whale release went this year given all the changes but that spoke to some of it right like a limited yeah. limited number of people but you it sounds like you still made it incredibly special for for those that were there yeah they supported us big time as an expensive dinner um you know at 18 people two nights and then we did our brunch on uh, saturday morning and la you know, every year it's kind of a free for all. It's like, Hey, everybody show up. We'll figure it out. This year we toned it back. Um, we had space seating and we, um, released the beers that morning and it went super well. And I honestly was expecting us to be about half full and, and, and you know, half full in that place, you know, it's maybe a hundred, 150 people over the, you know, 12, 15,000 square feet. So you can yeah. people we filled up. We filled all the way up at one point and I was shocked. And I, I looked at Danny Stanley. He's our uh, managing partner of the tap room. And I said, dude, I was like, I can't believe this. This is amazing. So I think that was a date that people had in their calendar and they thought we'd handle it well and they trusted us to be safe. And uh, I think we performed really well in the kitchen, put together a great spread and the beers were out of this world. I'm really proud of the team for that day. That was, that's a tough thing to do in the middle of COVID yeah. and to do it safely and to make sure that people are, are well taken care of. And I was very proud. Talk to me a little bit about Richard the Whale, uh, just how, because that is that's a long time, right? We were, we were talking about some of some of the beers, like a, a shortened or condensed time from start to finish. But Richard takes a while to, from it getting started, till a consumer has it. Yep. What is that time frame? 
and how do you know it's going to be okay when when it's when it's done well you trust the brewers you, you trust them <laughs> to do a good job which they haven't let us down yet so that's something that's part of it i mean you have to invest a ton of money on the front side we're buying multiple uh freshly dumped bourbon barrels from kentucky we're buying all the ingredients i mean everything you can possibly imagine plus all their time right I mean, the time's not cheap either you know what i mean like yeah. It's a lot of time to commit to a project that you don't know if it's going to turn out right. Um, I would say, in, in just just so we are on the same timeline, they're buying uh, barrels now. They're brewing now, so they can time it out to be done. I think in January, and that'll right release, that'll release in December next year. Okay. It'll rest for varied periods of time in the bourbon barrels. So um, we're getting much more particular about how we age beer in the bourbon barrels because. We're finding that there's specific timelines that really make a big difference. And so they're, they're tasting them throughout the process. It's kind of fun. They like the hammer and nail in, they pop the nail out, take a little sip, pop the nail back in, you know, very sanitary, but it's very, it's very kind of feels like you're, you know, medieval times or something, but it's fun. And what they're doing is they're testing for the level of oak and bourbon that's coming through. And so they're getting a lot more refined on how they do that and the process for creating that beer. And I think that what you're seeing is the beer is improving year after year after year. I think these beers that we put out this year were some of the best beers we've ever made. And I know that next year it's going to be even better. And they're changing the tweaking the recipe every year too. So, you know, we're still a young brewery. We're still learning. And uh, again, proud of the guys. Amazing. So that's great. Going going back to where we were uh, early in the conversation. So you basically kind of grew up in the business, uh, kind of under under your mom's watchful eye. Uh, mm-hmm. But so you've you've seen all parts of the hospitality business, right? Like you said, cleaning grease traps, uh, bussing tables, washing dishes, and now as CEO, what what's what's the easiest? What's the hardest parts? Uh, like or uh, that might be a false dichotomy, but what, what are parts that you really, really like? And uh, what, what are the parts that you might be happy not to do again in the restaurant business? Well, I mean, obviously cleaning the grease traps, never fun. So that was like, I feel like that was a torture thing they did to me just because I was the <laughs> owner's son and they just made me clean on Saturday mornings. That was, I mean, that was the point where I didn't know if we could open the restaurant. It's not so bad. So that was a bad experience, but, uh, <laughs> and they're not fancy like they are today where yeah. they're outside the building and, and big, uh, and big, uh, pits in the, right. in the but, uh, I would say that's not a fun job. And, and now there's services that come do that for you. But, uh, we, you know, for me, I've always enjoyed cooking. I like cooking a lot. I've always rooted a lot of my background in, in cooking and I'm not a chef by any means, but I, I do enjoy the process and I enjoy making it more efficient and I enjoy uh, creating. I think that's really fun. Um, I think from the managerial side, I love running the floor. I think the floor is uh, where you're getting all the action and you can really control the flow and the, and the, and the tempo of the restaurant. And if you're really good at that, you can really have nights sing and, and it's a really fun thing to do. I'll say probably cooking and uh, running, running some sort of maybe expediter, you know, sending the food out or, or it's, it's working the floor. I, I really enjoy that. I don't know if I'd be the best server anymore. I might not be patient enough. So <laughs> we'll see. Maybe I'll stay away from that. But uh, it's a, uh, it's a lot of fun. And I think a lot of our teams get energy from, from doing those things and then just having the experience of working with fun people. That's cool. So uh, are you just kind of curious, uh, how would you describe yourself since you've seen it all uh, when you're, when you're walking around a venue, are you correcting somebody or do you let a manager do that? I'm just kind of curious when you might see like busing or server or bartender doing something. Yep. That's a, uh, it could be a point of contention between the partners. So that's a good one to bring up <laughs> because I have a hard time keeping my mouth shut. Cause I, I always think we can do just a little bit better. So I, I push on that. Um, so I'll, I'll talk to, I'll talk to people friendly mentions, you know, Hey, you might want to check the light levels, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> Probably depends on the location too. I'm a lot more yeah. aggressive at the ones that I, I personally, you know, right. handle, but I, you know, I try to be respectful of the team because it is hard and you're, you're busy and you know, Hey, it was five o'clock when the shift started, it might be eight o'clock now and the lights seem to be a little different. It's not, you know, I like to think that everybody's trying their hardest. So I critique, I critique probably too much. Uh, I try to help and try to be pr- productive, but I think if you interviewed five managers, they might give you a different response on that. Great. Thank you. Switching gears a little bit to uh, 
Maybe the the second best thing to beer is barbecue. How did how did you decide to get involved with Mosley's? And I feel like you you went all in on uh, on the barbecue game. So how can you walk me through that process? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, Sean Keller is my business partner in that uh, venture. Uh, Sean's a great dude. He actually was a cook at Sluggers back in the day and ran the kitchen for a while as our kitchen manager. And then he went off and was, uh, was an editor at Ruffalo Cody. He's excellent, excellent pit master. Unbelievable. I ate some of the food, uh, some of his like family gatherings, you know, birthday parties, that kind of stuff he would cook. And I'm like, man, this is the best food. This is so good. And I had never had real barbecue and real barbecue to us is uh, wood fired barbecue, no motors, no engines, no gas, uh, just wood. Smoke, time, fire, heat, and that's it in a, in a big barrel. So it's a, it's, a, it's a process that takes a lot of time, takes a lot of discipline. When executed right, it is the most amazing food ever. And as we were deciding to do this, this project, um, we kind of just went in with that as essence. It's a barbecue joint, and we needed the barbecue to lead. And I think the barbecue is authentic. It's very, very authentic. Um, and I think that that's what rings true to me, is that we need, we need to be – the barbecue place um and there's a lot of people making great barbecue in iowa don't get me yeah, wrong but right there's very few that are doing it on wood sticks making it happen um and that's and i think that's where the passion comes through and hopefully that resonates inside the restaurants yeah thanks because i'm a kind of a hobby uh smoker barbecue and and just knowing the amount of time that it takes and you know yeah. you, you and you, you, you get better and better, but I feel like it's almost like a micro version of Richard the Whale is it's you're spending a lot of time and money. And, and, and then I can't imagine what for me personally, like if I was having if I'm making dinner for more than 10 of my friends with barbecue, I start to really get nervous and anxious. So I can't imagine a restaurant with multiple turns a night on tables, what it's like to keep quality barbecue going. Yeah, it's it's a task. I think that we. You know, if you're super busy, it's probably not that hard. I think when you have ups and downs in service, like we do in Iowa, you know, I mean, it's, yeah. it, you have to be able to flow with it and making sure the barbecue is at pristine condition is the biggest thing. The best time to ever eat barbecue, I don't care what anybody says, is right when it's off the pit. That's my thing. That's my big thing. I don't need to rest. I don't care. I, I like it right <laughs> off the pit. Like it's hot and it's got sauce and it's unbelievable. So that's my game. That's how I like it. But we can't do that because we're pulling, you know, the meat off at five and you might not come until eight. So right. So understanding how that all works and, and working that out, that's been a labor. I mean, that's, that's been a lot of work by Sean and his team and understanding how to, to manage that process because it's not easy, you know? So the way we store the product, the way we handle the product, the way we bring it to your table, it's all very specific. And, and like I said, I hope you feel that in the end product too. And again, it's all natural. And that's, uh, I think that's another cool part about kind of beer and barbecue is it's all natural ingredients. There's nothing else in there. You know, it's wood, meat, and time. I mean, right. that's it. And, and that's, that's really cool. Kind so of feel it, like we need a little more of that in our world these days. Yeah. And the vent, the, the original Mosley's uh, on Gilbert way back when, when I was an undergrad, that was Fitzpatrick's. And I remember they also started brewing beer. So I just kind of a interesting connection, like that they had a few, a few tanks in the basement, but, but that beer garden is awesome. So I'm just kind of curious to get how, from a restaurant perspective, how you decided like the, the layout, the theme on the inside, and then, then you have the pit outside, right. And then you still have the beer garden. How, how did your team think through kind of that, that theme for a barbecue joint and bring that to life from a design perspective? Yeah. Well, I appreciate the comments there. Um, it's a cool place. I mean, Mosley's in Iowa city is just the coolest. It's uh it's a, it's again, it's kind of got that shotgun feel, right? I mean, it's narrow and long, um, has a beautiful bar, and then, uh, it, it, but it's, yeah, it's real super cozy interior space used to be an Irish pub back in the day, but actually add a beer onto it. Fitzpatrick's probably drank some beers. It's maybe not the right age of that place. So that was a, that was a, that was a good backbone for me. Um, but, uh, no, I brought the, my uh, brother there when he was 16. He had no trouble yeah, no, getting served. No, no, you didn't. That never happened. And then, uh, and then we, we, uh, we, the patio is just, it's, and again, it's a shotgun patio right next to the place. And. We hire, you know, I will say this, like I, I am a good, a lot of things. I, I'm not maybe the best at just like putting together the entire 
feel and look of a place. And I thought we really invest in design. And we had a really cool designer for that project. His name is Brad Schaefer. And uh, he's, he also did the, the tailgate store in Iowa City. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's got a super cool vibe. And, and we wanted to have that type of vibe. So every piece of wood in that place was hand burned by the guy. Um, by literally him and his and his and a couple teammates, and they came in and built the whole thing. And yeah, it's just again that that, that Iowa City creation is just all authentic, you know. And it just feels good when you're in there. So that's that's one of my favorite places to grab beer. That uh, I have a, a a friend and colleague. Uh, so he has a company that's based out of uh, Providence, Rhode Island, and and Amsterdam. But we've done some projects here. And when he when he's in Iowa City. We have to go to Mosley's, uh, and uh, the a couple months ago we went, and I think it must have been a Monday night. We were like also, and then it was it was closed. So I I, I thought I was about to watch a grown man cry because he he'd been talking about barbecue all day. Oh, we failed you. Uh, no, we've been closing down. I think Monday yep. Tuesdays, uh, just because this wasn't busy enough. So we've been opening on Wednesdays. Wednesday. No, that's good. Yeah, no, I, I get it. it so, that's fun, though. That's a good story. I'll tell Sean that. He'll be happy. Yeah, I wish I could have taken a picture of him outside the front door. Just, oh. <laughs> uh, So one of the things I like to talk to guests about is the notion of advice. So uh, it goes a couple ways. Feel free to, to take it any way you want. One is uh, sometimes we get really good advice from a mentor early in our career and sometimes it even seems kind of goofy, right? But as we get older, we unpack it and we realize that was pretty wise. Uh, and then another flavor of advice is that when we're giving advice and I'm stealing from Austin Kleon's book, Steal Like an Artist, he says, when we give advice, we're just talking to our younger self. So if you don't mind either, what might've been some good advice you received early in your career or something you wish you would have received that you might share with others? Yeah, I think um, my mom has got a one that she says a lot. She told me in high school, she told me in the restaurants um, and always went back to not preparing is preparing to fail. And I probably didn't live up to that all the time, but I think she, she really set an example of being prepared and being on top of it. And I think that that resonates throughout the restaurants and she's pushed me hard on, on being prepared and not going in and winging it. And I think that's makes, that makes a big difference. I think we're very intentional about what we do in our spaces and uh, I think a lot of that comes from her and her advice. Uh, I think the second part um, would be if you're a young entrepreneur and you're trying to, to make it in, in this game or any game, uh, you're gonna wanna do it by yourself, right? That's, you're gonna wanna do it because you think you're the only one that can do it. And I would tell you that that's probably not the best way to go. I think you should find um, a lot of people that can help you. You should, you should seek out the advice of a lot of people that can help you. And you should employ a lot of people that can help you because that's what's going to make the difference. You know, it's a, it's a scale thing. And the more people around you that are doing great work, uh, the more your business is going to be successful. So I advise you to, to let go of the vine, as they say, and let other people help you. And, and you'd be shocked at how fast they can change things. That's great. Thanks, Matt. I want to thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. It was an absolute pleasure to have you here and to to dig in and talk beer and barbecue so i just thanks again for making the time hey anytime and let, let me know what your friend's address is i'll tell sean to mail him some ribs or something and <laughs> I'm sure it'll hold <laughs> right on all right thanks so much take care all right thanks for the time Bye. see you later